Have you heard the exciting news? On January 25th, 2023, Tammy Zonker is hosting her first annual and free virtual summit for you and 999 other fundraisers and nonprofit leaders. Transform 23, also known as Fundraising Transformation Virtual Summit, is hyper-focused on equipping fundraisers everywhere to take your fundraising to the next, next level. We've put together 10 wow-packed sessions with you in mind, led by 10 incredible forward-thinking experts to help you transform your fundraising in 2023 and beyond. And a special shout out to our transformation sponsor, The Giving Block. Now here's the thing, while it's free for you to attend, spots are limited. So go to fundraisingtransform.com transform23 and save your spot now. If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars, and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. We'll start the show in just a moment after a word from our sponsor. Support for this show is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management and online fundraising software that helps small to medium nonprofits, just like First Tee of Greater Akron, a nonprofit that empowers kids and teens through the game of golf. After just one year with Bloomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. Keep listening to hear how they did it or visit bloomerang.com forward slash intentional to learn more. Again, that's bloomerang.com forward slash intentional. talk with you about gratitude and happiness today. There have been a lot of articles and a couple of great new books published on the topics recently. Just this week, Time Magazine published two articles, The Daily Habits of Happiness Experts and How to Make Gratitude Feel Less Like a Chore. At the start of this new year, just about a week and a half ago, the New York Times issued a seven-day happiness challenge to kick off the new year. Subscribers to their wellness e-newsletter were invited to sign up for a challenge. They sent one exercise a day to your inbox to cultivate happiness. You'll find those links to the articles and the books that I'll be referencing in the show notes today. And just a few days ago, Simon & Schuster published a book called The Good Life, Lessons from the World's Longest Scientific Study of Happiness by authors Robert Wallinger and Mark Schultz. It was an 85-year study of the same people. They followed more than 2,000 people across two generations. And the questions that they asked were all about what makes people happy. I mean, really happy. And we all want to be happy, right? And, And at times yet, we fall into the trap of thinking, I'll be happy when I get that new promotion or the new job 
or I'll be happy when I get the pay increase. I'll be happy when I get the new car or a new home. Or I'll be happy when I hire someone to clean my house. But the study shows that the consistent key to long-term happiness is, wait for it, relationships. The key to long-term happiness is relationships. And those relationships not only keep us happier, but they also keep our bodies and our brains healthier, period. Some will say that it's impossible to sustain happiness. And I get it. There are a lot of really terrible things that are happening in the world right now. You know, our political system is so messed up here in the U.S. And we aren't the only country struggling with political leadership. The economy is challenging. I know my investments are down like a third over the last couple of years. And yet I realize I'm fortunate to even have those modest investments compared to many. Of course, the war in Ukraine is both heartbreaking and infuriating, as are many other conflicts around the world. And there are more than a million people right now suffering from severe famine in Ethiopia, Nigeria, Yemen, South Sudan, Somalia, Afghanistan, and lots of other places, unfortunately. And we have immigration issues, right? Entire families courageously fleeing their countries, seeking asylum, and encountering unimaginable challenge in the process. Our climate crisis, drought, floods, mudslides. And don't underestimate the influence of social media on your happiness. As you swipe, like, and heart those posts and images in your feed, you are naturally comparing your life to what you see. You're seeing the beautiful holiday celebration, the gorgeous meal at that amazing restaurant, you're seeing your friend's view from the magnificent Cliffs of Moher in Ireland, or your work colleague literally jumping for joy in front of the Eiffel Tower. The new car, the new home, the seemingly perfect family, the great party that you weren't invited to. <laughs> and you may be thinking, that does not look like my life. They look so happy. We forget that we're seeing their highlight reel not the messy, behind-the-scenes, real-life stuff. As one saying goes, we're always comparing our insides to other people's outsides. And no, it's not possible or even healthy to be happy all the time. In fact, experts say you don't want to be happy all the time. That can be an indicator that you're suppressing your sadness or your anger or disappointment or your loneliness or grief. We need to feel our feelings and find mechanisms for moving through those feelings as healthy human beings. It's when we linger there, it's when we get stuck that we can encounter depression and anxiety and a whole host of emotional challenges and disease. I have spent decades training and fundraising for mental and behavioral health organizations, but I am not a therapist or a mental or behavioral health clinician. But I do know that when we get stuck in that place, it can be debilitating and, frankly, dangerous. That's when we need to seek the help from professionals. And thankfully, the stigma associated with mental and behavioral health is decreasing bit by bit, and awareness is increasing that mental and behavioral health is every bit as important and necessary as physical health care. But we do have a long way to go. Back to the lessons from the world's longest scientific study of happiness. What did they learn 
that can help us and the people that we care about be happier and healthier. Interestingly, the study set out to study human health by investigating not what makes people sick, but what makes people thrive. As an example, in 2007, researchers asked millennials about their most important life goals. 76% said that becoming rich was their number one goal, and 50%, half of them, said that their goal was to become famous. A decade later, as those same people gained more lived experience as adults, they were asked the same question. Fame was much lower on the list. Making money remained high, plus having a successful career and becoming debt-free were among their top goals, right? All those student loans. In other words, our definition of success and happiness changes throughout the seasons of our lives. So going back all the way to the 30s, earlier when the study really just began, those early participants in the study, like this man named Henry, who they told his story so beautifully. So Henry, whose parents agreed for his participation in the study when he was just 14 years old, living in Boston in a neighborhood defined by poverty in an old rundown tenement with no running water. So fast forward, Henry was still in the study when he married his wife, Rosa, in 1954. And then later in 2002, Rosa would join the study, to which she said, it's about time. I think I would have liked Rosa. In their lifetime, they raised five children and lived a modest life in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where Henry worked in manufacturing. In Henry and Rosa's 80s, the researchers asked, what was their biggest fear? And for Rosa, her fear was that Henry or one of their children would get seriously ill. For Henry, his biggest fear was that Rosa would die before him. The thought of living without her was unbearable. His biggest fear came true a few months later when Rosa passed. Henry followed her within six weeks. And we hear those stories often. When spouses and partners pass consecutively within a short period of time, because we thrive in happy, healthy relationships and we suffer outside of those healthy, happy relationships. So, by way of comparison, in the spring of our adult life, we often define success by money and fame. In the summer and early fall seasons of our life, we define success by money and career success. But by the mid-fall and the winter seasons of our life, relationships are how we typically define success, according to the research. Reading and processing these findings has me really beg the question, what if we understood and embraced the importance of relationships much earlier in life? What would be the impact on lifetime happiness, mental and emotional, and even physical health? Yes, economic factors, race, sexual orientation, cultural biases, health, psychological factors, those things all influence quality of life and overall happiness. But relationships still remain the top factor according to this 84-year study. We just don't recognize and embrace the value of relationships until much later in life. Experts say that positive relationships make us feel safe. Social relationships give us a sense of belonging, working or volunteering with others towards shared goals or visions and values give us feelings of purpose. 
and human connection impacts our overall well-being. Just think about that connection. The last time you felt the joy of a baby smiling at you, and not just your baby or a grandbaby, I'm talking about any baby, like the baby in the grocery store checkout line that smiled at you and you couldn't help but smile back and feel that joy in your heart. I mean, think about it. Even in prison, what's the highest form of punishment for inmates? Solitary confinement. We need human connection to be happy, even in the harshest of environments. So what are some of the research-based recommendations that the Good Life authors make to strengthen relationships so we can all become happier? I'll share a couple, but if you're really sparked by this conversation, get the book. And we've included a link to that book on Amazon in the show notes. The exercises and tactics they share in the book can apply both in our personal relationships with family and friends, but my fundraising friends, they also apply to relationships in our work with our donors, with our volunteers and board members and colleagues. So here's one of the exercises that I want to bring forth. And take notes. I literally would love for you to do a couple of these exercises as a follow-on after this podcast episode. So first, get out a piece of paper and make a list of your closest friends and relatives, or even a list of donors or volunteers that you have relationships with. And ask yourself, what is the quality of these relationships? How do they make you feel? How often does that happen? Does this relationship energize you? Or do you find that it's depleting? Do those connections happen frequently or infrequently? Notice the relationships that you are most grateful for. Would it increase your happiness to connect with some of those people on your list more frequently? Do you need to minimize the frequency or duration of connections with others? Would doing so increase your happiness? If this is a donor relationship and it's depleting you and likely them, maybe they should be transitioned to someone else's portfolio, someone who does connect with them better. Like the t-shirt says, I'm not for everyone and neither are you. Another exercise from the Good Life authors is to distinguish sources of support in your life. Now, this is perfect for you spreadsheet lovers, or we can do the analog version, get out a piece of paper, make a list of the people you have relationships that have the greatest impact on you. Beside each name, create eight columns. Label each column with these words. The first one, safety and security. Next, learning and growth. Emotional closeness and confiding. Identity, affirmation, and shared experience. Next, romantic intimacy. Next, help, both practical and informational. Maybe this is a mentor or a great resource that you go to when you need very practical support or feedback on a question about ethics or practice. And then the last two columns, I want the one to be fun and relaxation. And then just a other category. And you can label this however it serves you. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. First T of Greater Accra needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Here's Executive Director Josh Smith sharing what he likes about Bloomerang. 
We love Bloomerang because it's so, like, it's very user-friendly. We're able to do more because our daily tasks of thanking donors and sending thank you notes have been cut more than half because of Bloomerang. Year over year, we have raised more funds, so obviously I think Bloomerang's been a, a huge part of that. By investing in a donor management system that they actually love using, First Tee of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First Tee of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com forward slash intentional or click the link in the show notes. For each individual on your list, check the columns for the type of support they provide in your life. And I want to normalize not every name listed will check every box. Notice which people check fewer boxes or no boxes. Notice those gems who check a lot of boxes. If you added donors and volunteers to your list, you could change the column labels to be more appropriately aligned with the nature of their relationship to you and your organization. You know, for example, they're obviously not going to have a box for intimacy and romance. Based on those checked boxes, where might you give more attention to increase your level of happiness and theirs too? How could we ensure people know how much they mean to us, how much we respect them, how much they inspire us? You know, sometimes people pass away or move away and we think, I should have spent more time with them. Or I should have said this or that, or, you know, I thought we still had time. You can use this same exercise to distinguish people that you support. Make a list of the people you support and feel like you make the greatest impact on. Besides each of those names, create those eight columns with the same labels. Safety and security, learning and growth, emotional closeness and confiding, and so on. And then repeat the process. Which boxes do you check for them, in your opinion? And just notice, again, who do you contribute to more profoundly? Who do you want to make a bigger difference for? And there were fewer boxes checked than you realized there would be. So in the book, they share many more exercises to help distinguish the romantic or intimate relationship category, the family relationship category, the work relationship category. What I walked away with after reading the book and doing so many of the exercises is that there is a next level of happiness available as a result of an examined and intentional life. That is never too late. Happiness is a series of choices and intentional responses to the challenges that we encounter in our life's journey. Now, I also mentioned the Time Magazine article, Daily Habits of Happiness Experts by Angela Haupt. That's H-A-U-P-T. We have a link to the article in the show notes. She says, happiness is not a yellow smiley face. It's being true to yourself and all the emotions that come up. Instead of forcing that upside down frown kind of analogy, true happiness stems from surrounding yourself with lots of love, being of service, and having a good time. As part of the article, Time Magazine surveyed 18 happiness experts to compile a list of habits to help us all boost our mood and well-being. The daily habits of happiness in stacked ranking are, and this first one was so surprising, the first habit of creating happiness is getting seven or more hours of sleep each night. 
Surprising, right? Now, how many of us are doing that? Like, I need to work on that one. I have to confess. The next one, engaging in a personal hobby. Maybe that's art or writing or poetry or music or cooking or gaming. Whatever your personal hobby is, spending consistent time in that hobby increases your happiness. Exercising or playing sports increases happiness. Spending time in nature. And I have to say, I I do work with some nature conservancy, some land preservation organizations. And as I interview their donors and supporters and board members as part of my fundraising effectiveness assessment process, spending time in nature for them is spiritual. That is how they replenish. It's how they find their peace. And so that is the fourth habit in being happy, spending time in nature. The fifth habit is meditation. The sixth is prayer. The seventh is spending time with friends outside the office or professional setting. So this could be connecting over a cup of coffee or grabbing lunch or volunteering as a group. And the eighth habit of happy people is spending time with family outside of the household. So again, this could be dinner out, an adventure, like going to a museum or a library, maybe a day trip to a concert or a sporting event, or just a great hike at that nature preserve or the park. Now, all this connection might sound great, but you could be thinking, Tammy, let's get real. Who has time for all that sleeping? Or I don't have time for a hobby. Simply scheduling time with friends and family, that alone sounds exhausting. So in the Time Magazine article, How to Make Gratitude Feel Less Like a Chore, I think they give us some solutions to I don't have enough time. They say practicing gratitude cures much of what ails us. It helps us feel more positive. It helps us cope with adversity and even stay physically and mentally healthier. So in other words, relationships and gratitude go hand in hand toward creating a happy life. And that includes your relationship with yourself, identifying and honoring your needs like sleep. Now, maybe you could go to bed just one hour earlier than normal or begin a nighttime ritual of turning off the screens an hour before bedtime, drinking a cup of caffeine-free tea or flavored water or using an essential oil diffuser with some relaxing lavender oil, right? So what are the processes or the habits that could help you ease into more sleep? Maybe for you, Prioritizing your relationships with yourself means moving your body 20 minutes a day or more, four or five times a week. Walk your dog. Put that baby in a stroller and go around the block twice or three times. You know, throw down a mat or a bath towel and just do some yoga stretches. Now, you'll find what works for you, but these are things that you do for yourself. And I confess, I am a passionate, ambitious person. I can easily get overwhelmed by my to-do list and my priority projects because I take on a lot. And I know a lot of you can relate. Like a lot of you might even be more ambitious and passionate than I am. But here's what I notice. I can spend more time stressing out, avoiding, lamenting, procrastinating, and talking about my overwhelm than it actually takes to do the to-do list. Can you relate to that a little bit? And while I'm confessing, here's another. 
I may go to bed at my goal bedtime, but I might lie there scrolling social media for an hour. If I'm not intentional, I can rob myself of an hour of sleep a night, seven hours of sleep a week, 31 hours of sleep a month, 365 hours of sleep a year. Are you doing the same? Are you in the I'm guilty club with me? You may even be the president of the I'm guilty club, right? So let's tackle the hobby issue. No time for a hobby. I have to tell you a story. I was inspired just last week by my daughter, Callie. She has a very full-time career working in hospice. She's on call all hours of the day and night for patients and families, obviously at a really sensitive time in their life. She's married, and they have two sons. Hudson is four and a half, and little Grady Bear is almost 10 months. And in all candidness, they're beautiful, exceptionally smart, kind, and funny. And that is not just Nana talking. So all that to say, this woman is busy and operates with a very high level of excellence. I have no idea where that comes from. So last Saturday, she told me that she's going to start being a referee for third and fourth grade girls basketball at the YMCA every Saturday. She said, Mom, I'm doing it for me. I need something that's just for me. Now, at first I thought she's a little bit crazy. Like, Cal, you have so much on your plate and these baby boys. How are you going to do that? But then I really heard her. This is for her. Her mental health, her physical health, giving back the joy of seeing these little girls' faces when they make a basket, seeing them grow in their skills and their leadership and their team orientation. That one hour of refereeing on a Saturday morning, plus travel time, will make her an even better mom, a better wife, a, a better, more compassionate hospice liaison, a better sister, daughter, and human. So what are you doing just for you? And how often do you do it? How much happier could you be if you spent just an hour a week with your hobby? Now, I'm fortunate. My hobbies really align with my life and my work. So my hobbies are reading, cooking, and baking, and gardening. But it's really cold out right now. So the point is, it's a joy for me and all of my people who love Sunday brunch and Nana's carryout that one of my passions is cooking and baking, right? So it's a way that I care for my family. You know, my food, the presentation of it, the experience of it, that's one of my love languages. That's how I take care of my family and my friends. The reading supports my work as a fundraising consultant, trainer, and conference speaker. I mean, I'm a real fundraising and professional development and leadership development kind of a geek. And I say that very proudly. And I know so many of you can relate to that as well, or you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. The last tactic or hack or whatever you want to call it is what they call the eight-minute phone call. I found this so interesting. When you complete that exercise of identifying that list of people who have a significant impact in your life, who are energizing and encouraging, you'll realize that you don't connect with them nearly as much as you both would like and candidly need for your mutual happiness and well-being. But you know, if you get on the phone with them, it could be hours before you hang up. 
And you know you don't have that kind of time. So the tactic, the hack, is to ask them for an eight-minute phone call. Simply say, I think of you so often, and I would love to connect more, but I'm so busy these days, and I'm sure you are too. Could we agree to scheduling an eight-minute phone call once a month or maybe every two weeks? That's your choice. I read this article, and it suggested this eight-minute phone call. Can we just try it? You see, the article suggests that eight minutes will have you skip all the small talk and the pleasantries and get right to the juicy stuff. What's really going on in your life? What's exciting? What are you celebrating? Where are you challenged? What are you dreaming of? How can I help? How can we help each other? I can tell you, I'm going to try it out, and I hope you do too. And while you're increasing your connection time, remember, gratitude is social glue. Gratitude boosts feelings of connection and commitment in relationships. So tell your special people how you feel about them, how they make a difference in your life, how they inspire you. Fundraising friends, do the same with your donors and tell them, in addition to how you feel about them and how they inspire you, tell them how they make a difference in your community and with the people who participate in your programs, with your students, your patients, whomever you're serving. You know this, but consistently doing this requires intention and commitment. Like you're going to have to block time on your calendar to make this happen and prioritize it. You know, none of us is guaranteed another day or even another minute in this life. Let's be intentional about being happy, grateful, and living with purpose. Let's make this new year a truly happy new year. That's it for this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. Be happy and keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. See you next time. And now for a final word from our sponsor. Thank you to our friends at Bloomerang for supporting this episode. If you'd like to learn more about how Bloomerang can help your nonprofit acquire, retain, and engage donors, or learn how First Tea of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds in the first year with Bloomerang, head over to bloomerang.com forward slash intentional or click the link in the show notes. The Intentional Fundraiser Podcast is a Fundraising Transformed original. It's hosted by me, Tammy Zonker, founder and president of Fundraising Transformed, where we help equip and empower fundraisers, nonprofit leaders, and board members to transform their fundraising so they can transform the world. Visit fundraisingtransformed.com slash podcast to subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my newsletter to get fundraising lessons, tools, and helpful resources delivered straight to your inbox each month. If you want my help with taking your fundraising to the next level, become a member of my Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member and join me live each month where I'll teach you the same strategies I use to lead, train, and coach thousands of nonprofits, social service organizations, healthcare foundations, private schools, colleges, and universities to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars 
including a single gift of $27.1 million. As a member, you can participate in my Ask Me Anything sessions every month and get answers to your burning questions. Chat with other growth members inside our private and safe online community about what you're working on, struggling with, and share lessons learned. And get instant access to my growing library of on-demand self-paced training classes. New content is added every single month. Learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com slash growth. Talk soon.